Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. All right, today we're talking about deep and dark topic of facing death. You know, we all need to be understanding that we're all going to die. Many people don't think about it very much. Many people deny that it's going to happen. And when somebody dies in their life, they go through a long, deep grieving process. And that's appropriate. The issue really is, though, is that we all want to be remembered for how we lived, not how we died. And that's an important thing to understand is that the real legacy of your life is going to be the memories that you've made in life. It's not going to be uh, what possessions you had. It's not going to be the money that you leave behind. Um, people will blow through that like a lottery. Um, the bottom line is it's memories. And if we don't value our lives by making lots of memories with people that we love, people we don't love, people that we need to influence, we really lose our purpose. And that's an important thing to understand. And that's kind of the springboard of this uh, facing death. You know, December is a tough year, tough uh, month uh, for a lot of people. Uh, it's been a really tough year, 2020. Um, we're in December. Uh, it's just that that month in particular has a lot of death to it. But then we have the COVID. And so, you know, we just have to face at some point an event of, of such enormity that, that it can make everything else in our lives seem insignificant. But some people live fearing death. And the bottom line is, it's just the last event of your life. It's not who you are. It's not what you're about. It's not even pretty. Um, it, it's, it's pretty awful in some regards in the sense that we often uh, – poop our pants or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really not an event that we want to be remembered by. And, and if we make that last event of our life one of the greatest fears of our life, what we end up doing is we start coping with life and we stop living. If we live in fear, uh, then oftentimes we are just existing and we're not fully present. We're not fully available to people in our lives. And the real purpose of life is to be in the moment and, and to be able to enjoy the moment and to be fully alive. And that means we have to live in faith that good things are going to happen. Even if bad things are happening now, something good will likely come out of it. And that's an important thing. You know, we live in a culture that denies death. And we're taught that death is something we should shy away from and try to forget about. But if we start contemplating our own mortality... You know, so this traditional wisdom goes and it will become anxious and will become depressed. And there's no doubt that this is often the case with many people. And there's a terror management theory that suggests that a large part of all human behavior is generated by unconscious fear of death. And this fear generates a fundamental anxiety 
and, and unease, which we try to basically offset with our behaviors, such as uh, status seeking or, or strongly defending the values of our culture, we feel threatened by death and so seek security and significance to defend ourselves against it. And studies have shown, for example, that when people are made more aware of their own mortality, they tend to become more nationalistic and tribal and more materialistic. However, this by no means is always the case. In fact, there's also a lot of people and a great deal of evidence showing that becoming aware of death can have a powerful positive effect and bring about a a radical shift in attitude and perspective, you know, and, and, and when we think about something, just just think about death in itself. I mean, if, if, if I were to pass, I would want my children to do something that I would have wanted them to do for themselves. And so if you want to carry someone's life forward that means something to you after they pass, do something for yourself that they would have wished you would have done. And then they will walk forward in your life with whatever that thing is, whatever that memory, whatever that talent, whatever that advocation is, they will walk forward in your life with that. You know, there's a lot uh, 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 of a new ability to live in the present. You know, facing death uh, can teach you that the future and the past are unimportant and that life only ever takes place in the present moment. And, and that really has developed a more appreciative attitude and a sense of gratitude for aspects of your life um, that, that you take for granted. And if you're grateful for your friends and your family, grateful just to be alive, grateful to be uh, perceived and experienced in the world around you, you know, the, the world will become a more real place. And things that you never paid attention to before may be strikingly vivid and beautiful. And, and also thinking about worries and anxieties, which, which is, have oppressed you. Worries about being liked by other people, about not being successful in your career, or about past events which had made you feel embarrassed or humiliated. They're, they're no longer important. There's a shift away from the ego-centered, uh, materialistic attitude to a less selfish, altruistic one. And there's a sense of letting go, of releasing yourselves from fear, from ambition, uh, from, from, from uh, attachments to material goods or concepts of status. There's a powerful example uh, uh, um, of, of people that, that basically take their life and they may have been living materialistically, they may have been living with goals for finances, whatever it is, and all of a sudden they're just living. And what happens is time after time after time, if they keep applying themselves in the present towards good good goals and good good uh, attitudes, oftentimes the things that we want will come to us in abundance. And that, my friends, comes from a Christian perspective of God. And that's how we are rewarded by looking out for other people, giving to other people. Giving is such a wonderful thing to be able to do because it assures you that you're secure in your own future because you're able to give someone else uh, uh, something that they need. And that's important. And that's the time of year we're in where we learn to give.
Worrying about the future or regretting the past is a foolish waste of time. And of course, we can't all be threatened with imminent death, but probably takes you know a, 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 something like that, an imminent death, look at facing death to knock some sense into us. You know, right now it's just fantastic. It makes you feel alive just walking around the street. You really feel alive if you're in the moment and you're appreciative of the things around you and the things that you see. It's kind of like when you go on vacation. Many people will go on vacation. All of a sudden, they're a much nicer version of themselves. Not always if you have a bad family or have bad company. But the bottom line is, is that we are starting to be more aware of the things that we've not seen before around us. And that can be a very exciting thing. You know, why does awareness of death have a positive effect on some people but not others? Well, to, to a great extent, it depends on the intensity of the encounter with our mortality. And anxiety usually occurs when we're passively aware of death thinking about it in a vague way rather than actually facing up to it. And there's a, certainly an important difference between being aware of death as a concept, as, as we people, you know, uh, the people out here that do research, and, and being confronted with the reality by it. And being forced to deal with it is in a, as an imminent prospect. When we face up to death actively and directively, there's a chance that we'll transcend anxiety and insecurity and experience it in a transformational way, which can be incredibly eye-opening. An attitude of acceptance is important. If, if we resist death, fight against its inevitability, refuse to let go of our lives, uh, feel bitterness about all the things that we're, we're going to lose and leave behind, then we're much less likely to experience the potentially positive effects. One of my favorite scenes is in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life when the Grim Reaper shows up to their dinner party. If you ever see that movie, that scene is my absolute favorite uh, in the way that people are facing death and not even realizing they're facing death. <laughs> Most importantly, you know, it, it should be possible for us to harness the transformational effect of death without actually undergoing the process of dying. And it's important for us to make a conscious effort to remind ourselves of our own mortality. And, and I, I really personally believe we should spend a few minutes of every day thinking about our own death, contemplating the fact we're only on this planet for a certain amount of time and that death could strike us down at any moment. And this may seem morbid, but it's also a good question to face up to reality. And ultimately, we're on the same position as a cancer patient who's been told they have a certain amount of time to live. It's just that we don't know how much time we have. And that are, it should make us to feel more alive and appreciative of what we have. Death is always present. It's, it's transformational, but it, it doesn't need to overcome you and it doesn't need to dictate your life. You know, if we're courageous enough to face it, become aware of our own mortality can be liberating and awakening. And it can paradoxically seem to encourage us to live authentically and fully for the first time. You know, if somebody, I can't imagine a lot of movies, a lot of people that have been to doctors have heard someone, something like this. I'm so sorry to say this, but you only have a few more weeks to live. Most of the time when people get sick, their biggest fear would be to hear these exact words coming out of a doctor's mouth directed towards them. And people often feel great fear, 
stirring within them once they're reminded of their mortality. You know, so what now? What do you do when you get that? You know, you might not. You might ask, and uh, you know, what follows in this reminder of our finiteness in life? Because avoiding thoughts of death can only take you so far, and because death is inevitable phenomenon, it'll work back to haunt you. But in you know, it in it may come sooner rather than later. However, the issue that needs to be addressed here is. Where does the fear of death come from? Do people even understand what death has in store for them or, uh, um, you know, or well enough to be afraid of it? You know, for the reason that understanding of the meaning of death will influence how people um, uh, live their lives and also cope with death and dying. Despite all the different terms that people try to come up with, in order to make sense of what death is all about, it's ultimately known to everyone around the world as the end of life. And uh, scientists have attempted to to define death biologically, uh, uh, whereas philosophers agree agree on the same inference that death is only a subtle part of a state of mind that finally leaves the body. In Christianity, we believe we hopefully die and go to heaven and 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 some people in other religions like hindu believe we are recycled where we come back again and again and again uh returning to improve ourselves each life is an improvement on the last life learning from the last life and so for as long as humans have been recording their history death anxiety has been a big theme you know it's there's like uh, Gila, uh, Gilgamesh, uh, 4,000 years ago, uh, lamented over his own mortality uh, to resist attempts to preserve their body using uh, chirogenics, um, which is uh, basically an ancient form of Egyptian practice of mummification. And our species has grappled with our own impertinence in a whole lot of ways. Themes of mortality and the dread of death have appeared throughout art, literature, myth, ritual, philosophy, uh, and this is across the ages. And, and, and fears of death feature heavily within illness, anxiety, and somatoform, which is uh, kind of like anxiety-based uh, disorders with body checking, frequent medical appointments, but not really getting an answer what the problem is, and requests you know, for medical testing being a big key to these behaviors and conditions. But thoughts of death have the ability to create a, a sense of powerlessness, a sense of loneliness, a sense of meaninglessness for some people. I would suggest that we look at death as dying with integrity, dying a good death, meaning that if we know we're going to die, or if we know someday we're going to die, we begin living with wisdom and integrity consistently day after day and stop living for ourselves and live to help other people with whatever wisdom, whatever strengths that we have to offer. That is an incredible thing to do. And if you do that as your mission all the way to the end, you will have influenced enormous amount of people's lives and you will have created a legacy that may likely live beyond you. 
And that is what you want. You want to be a part of the ages. You want to be beyond the life that you lived to have influenced other people in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And so we need to look inward. We need to look at our passions. We need to understand that we have to do hard. We need to do some hard things in our life that we commit to. We don't try. We use our will, and I'll use Nietzsche here, you know, will to power. We will get it done. We will get that education. We will get that job. We will complete a task. We will create something. We will write a book. We will do a whole lot of things. And it's important if you do that, that you grab onto your life and live passionately, then it will be irrelevant irrelevant when you die because you're always plugging in every single day and not just rotting in front of a television. You know, fears of death feature heavily within illness, anxiety, uh, um, and all these disorders, the somatoforms that I was talking about. You know, the more we worry about it, the more we create anxiety, which affects our our, our nervous system. Uh, anxiety also affects our, our health, our white blood cell count, our lack of oxygen because people don't breathe well when they're freaking out. And, and if you're doing that on a consistent basis and, and ruminating over death, you're letting death run your life, and that's not what we need to be doing. Um, you know, treatments focus on the symptom on the surface, such as avoidance of spiders or checking locks, repeated requests for brain scans, rather than the existential concern that we stay in the moment. That means we exist. Existentialism means you exist and, and, and stay there. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking about facing death. So come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers Channels. Transformation takes one step at a time. It's time. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. 
That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about facing death. Oh, what a depressing topic. Anyway, it's really not depressing. Actually, it's really important to understand we have to face uh, death through some form of acceptance. And there's a lot of different ways that that have been proposed that people will accept death. And and that is like escape acceptance, like embracing death as a welcome escape from suffering and pain of your life or uh, approach acceptance, which is accepting death due to the beliefs about the existence of a desirable afterlife or the neutral acceptance, accepting death as a neutral part of life, something outside of your control that it's irrelevant to even think about it. Although these types of death acceptance are associated with reduced levels of death fears, neutral acceptance appears to produce the lowest levels of death anxiety because neutral acceptance of death can be seen as similar to a stoic approach. And that comes from basically uh, uh, like a Greek philosophy in the sense that death, like many other life's hardships, is something to neither mourn or celebrate. We just do it. And so it's it's just another thing we do, and uh, rather than given you know outside of your control, it's viewed with relative indifference. And that attitude is summed up nicely in words of of Epictetus, uh, which was a philosopher, that death is necessary. And I'm quoting: "Death is necessary and cannot be avoided. I mean, where I am going to go to get away from it." You know, given that it's a neutral acceptance, that leads to the lowest levels of death anxiety. And for treatment, that's an important thing to understand when someone comes to you with the fear of death or facing death. You know, a, a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy techniques have been proposed to to address the de- dread of death, you know, um, it's important to acknowledge that all of us are likely to hold a number of different beliefs related to death and dying. Some some are more helpful and realistic than others. You know, as with any other anxiety condition, you know, if, if you look at death from a Christian perspective, it's a motivating factor because you want to have a good life so that you can transcend and meet God and Jesus and be another part of a bigger picture. And that's an important thing in Christianity is to live a life of integrity, that you can be proud that you have helped other people and that you have loved one another unconditionally and learned how to forgive even the most heinous people in the world, that we are all flawed, all of us are flawed, and if we sit around and poke on each other's flaws, we're going to be a pretty miserable culture. You know, behavioral experiments can also be useful, and that's just straight behavioral science. By giving people the chance to test out their various death-related beliefs regarding the cost of death. For example, the belief, if I die, my partner wouldn't cope and my children might be removed from their care, could be directly tested by asking the patient to survey and assess their family's coping strategies in the event of, of your death. And of course, 
there's a lot of behavioral experiments that have long been used to challenge beliefs surrounding the probability of dying across a range of mental health conditions, such as, you know, if, if I go off the rail, I'll fall to my death, you know, uh, if it's uh, uh, acrophobia, um, I use my heart rate increases, I might have a heart attack, you know, so people develop phobias surrounding how they may perceive themselves dying. You know, avoidance is one of the most uh, uh, prevalent strategies that most people uh, just completely avoid it. It's not uncommon for people to completely avoid thinking about mortality instead to live as though they were not going to die. And given this exposure, they uh, uh, may play a certain role in, in the way that they handle their life, especially if they're like an adrenaline junkie. They might carelessly use their life as a way to, to achieve thrills, but never really uh, live with substance. And that can be a sad thing when you decide you're going to be a, uh, married and you're going to decide to have children and you're going to have an, a life influencing other people and then go throw it away doing something stupid. But some people do that. They, they carelessly uh, view their life as important. They want to just have some fun. They escape, but they forget their mortality. And uh, pain is a reminder that we're still alive and uh, we need to respect that. You know, uh, exposure to death-related situations, uh, like someone close to you dying, can emote a lot of grieving. And grieving can come in tidal waves. I mean, it just keeps coming in, coming with depression and and uh, avoidance and anxiety. And uh, it, it just goes on and on and on. Sadness, uh, acceptance. There's so many stages in that. And all of that comes with loaded emotions that just continue to flood. When you first have somebody in your life that has died, that is very important to you, it is fairly common that what the person will go through in the first three months is going to be a sense of calmness first, but then the storm starts to hit and the grieving process rapid cycles, and it will continue for really strong for about three months. And what I often tell people, and it's really important, is let it roll. Let it go through you. I know it's embarrassing. I know if nobody's ever seen you cry before and all of a sudden you're crying, cry. Go off somewhere else if you're too embarrassed about it. But it lets people remind themselves that they are fragile too and they're going to have to cope with death. It's a good thing. And people have that in common. And many people can comfort you if you're grieving. Don't do it alone. Let yourself grieve. Let yourself feel. Don't be embarrassed by it. Let it cycle. You know, if you have to pull off the road, let it cycle through. But here's the deal. Stop thinking about why am I feeling the way I'm feeling and giving yourself thought after thought after thought, trying to control the grieving emotions. And basically, if you will just sit with the emotions and let them cycle without giving them a reason to be there or without trying to stop them, that alone is going to let them cycle through very quickly and not control your life. But as they come, you need to welcome them as a welcome guest to allow you to let go so that you don't internalize the process. That is a very important thing to do. Now, uh, you know, there's a lot of studies that show the effect of treatments on death anxiety, particularly among uh, people with mental health conditions. 
Uh, however, some findings uh, basically have related areas of, 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 of basically it's called psycho-oncology, and it's a relevant systematic review or explore the effects of various therapies on attitudes towards death. And um, honestly, uh, crisis management, if someone's just received the message, is the most important thing, which is uh, crisis management. You have to be very direct. You need to be there with the person. But the other thing is you have to give them an alternative uh, way of thinking rather than just sit and, 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 and validate their emotion, not their emotions, but their thoughts uh, and their fears. But you also have to be in a different place than they are in a sense in your head. Um, I know that when I work crisis work, a lot of people are down, they're sad, they're mourning, uh, they don't know what else to do, and I'll start asking questions about either them or the person that passed and what, what their life was, what were some funny things that, they, that you remember about them, what was their quirky things about them, and all of a sudden they go from this deep sadness into laughter and, and cheer, and it's amazing when you can take them to that perspective, they start to get confident in the ability to, to have resiliency. And that's an important factor in our lives. And if, if you look at any story that you really truly love to, to read or love to see, it's the resiliency that is inspiring to us. And any great movie, anything, it's the resiliency, the ability to fight back. Humor has the greatest ability to help us fight back. And that is a way to begin to know that we can be healthy. We can grieve, but we can come back to being healthy. And that alternative is a very powerful thing, very important. You know, um, death anxiety is, is unique to our experience of being human. You know, our awareness of our mortality is a central part of our existence. But increasing evidence suggests that the fears of death may not be at the root of a, a, a numerous uh, mental health conditions. It, it can be argued that they need to be addressed in order for satisfactory long-term treatment outcomes is to uh, subside the fear of death. You know, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity for treatment in death fears because they're numerous and, and they really oftentimes uh, uh, grab onto our imagination as about how we're going to die or why we're going to die, the whole point is we're going to die and we can't usually control that. You know, how do you think you might react if you were diagnosed with a terminal illness like cancer? You know, uh, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in 69, she worked with the founders of hospice care and described the process of an individual accepting their own death. And she proposed there were five stages, and that's the grieving stages. And that is, the first is denial, then there's anger, then there's bargaining, there's depression, and then there's acceptance. And most people experience these stages, but the stages may occur in different orders. And depending on the person, uh, they may cycle very fast or cycle very slow. Um, but usually they jumble up into each other and kind of bump around, and we we kind of feel like we're bipolar in some regards because we're roller coasting through these emotions. But you know, if you fight death, it's more likely that you're going to remain stuck in the denial phase, and this could make it difficult for a dying person to face death with dignity, and that's important. However, 
you know, some psychologists believe that not facing death until the very end is an adaptive coping mechanism. And whether due to illness or old age, not everyone facing death or, or the loss of a loved one experiences the negative emotions that, that for instance, the Kubler-Ross model uh, denoted. For example, there's a lot of research that suggests that people with religious or spiritual beliefs are better able to cope with death because of their hope in an afterlife and because of social support from religious or spiritual associations. You know, a, a prominent example of a person creating meaning through death is a guy named Randy Posh, who, who is well-loved professor at Carnegie Mellon University. He was diagnosed with uh, terminal uh, pancreatic cancer in his mid-40s, and he was only given like three to six months to live. But he uh, focused on living in a fulfilling way in the time he had left. And instead of becoming angry and depressed, he presented a really famous lecture called Really Achieving Your Childhood Dreams. And then in that, uh, and it was often humorous, he shared insights on seeing the good in others, overcoming obstacles, experiencing zero gravity, among many other things. Despite his terminal diagnosis, Posh basically lived the final year of his life with joy and hope. And he showed us our plans for the future still matter, even if we know that we're going to die. Um, you know, it, it's just the last moment of your life. It marks an end point. There's many ways that we might react to facing death. Um, if we look at Kubler-Ross's uh, model, you know, many people facing death choose hospice care, which always allows their, their last days to be spent at home in a comfortable, supportive environment. You know, um, it's important. You know, it's important that the, the first stage of Kubler-Ross is denial. And basically, that means a person receives the news that they're dying and they either don't take it seriously or try to escape from the reality of the situation. Or you might say something like, cancer could never happen to me. You know, I take good care of myself. This has to be a mistake. You know, the next stage is anger where you realize it, it, the time is short. And you may not have a chance to accomplish what you wanted to. And then you feel it's not fair. You, you promised something to people and now you can't do it. Um, and then there's bargaining. In this stage, you try to delay the inevitable by bargaining or pleading for extra time, usually with God, family members, medical care providers. God, just give me one more year so I can take that trip with my, you know, with, with my child, you know, whatever. And then... Then we become sad about our impending death. You know, you can't believe this is how you're going to die. You know, in so much pain. What's going to become of my family when I'm gone? And that's a bunch of fear. And then there's acceptance. And this stage usually is reached in the last few days or weeks before death, where you recognize that death's inevitable. You need to get everything in order and say all your goodbyes to the people that you love. And that is a tough way to go. If you allow yourself to grieve far before you ever receive the information that you're going to die or are faced with death, you will allow yourself to live to the final moments of your life by reinforcing your passions and going out there and living the life that you could be proud of. You know, uh, truthfully, in this 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 acceptance, and I'm going to go through them again, but the, the Kubler-Ross thing, but... You know, denial is really what we have to do to survive. It, it can initially help you survive the loss. 
where you get into a functional mode. You know, it's sadly, many people who lose a loved one have to arrange their funeral. That's like having to arrange a birthday party when you've lost someone. That's very difficult to do. There's And so what people do is they throw themselves into denial. They get functional. And they may think that life makes no sense. It has no meaning. It's too overwhelming. You start to deny it. And in fact, you go numb. And it's common uh, to wonder how life will go on in that different state. You know, you're in a state of shock because life as you knew it has changed in an instant. And if you were diagnosed with some deadly disease, you might believe the news is incorrect. And a mistake must have occurred somewhere where they mixed up your blood work. I need to get a second, third, fourth, fifth opinion, whatever it is. You know, if it's denial and shock that help you cope and survive the event, then that's probably a good thing. But you don't want to sit with it. And and that's what's important. You know, denial means you deny, but you still face. You still face the fact that it's going to happen or it may happen. And you need to begin getting your life in order. And so maybe you become more functional. And that may be a good thing also by knowing that you're going to die. So you can use the denial to get a lot of things done. But once you started to actually live without that with the reality that you may die, then we become resentful and angry. And that anger usually will set in pretty strong. And it's very common. To think, why me? Life's not fair. And you you look to blame other people for the cause of your grief. And it also may redirect your anger to to friends and family. So you find it incomprehensible of how something like this could happen to you. The other thing is, when people are given like a cancer diagnosis, all of a sudden they're standing there watching the people that love them grieve for them. So it's like being dead before you died. And that is a very hard thing to do. All right, we're going to talk about facing death a little bit more coming back, but we're also going to talk about how to work through death and how to get healthy. Come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? Do you struggle with what and how much to say? You're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking here about facing death. Okay. And now, we're also talking about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grieving. And, you know, depression is about the fourth phase of of, uh, grieving. And it's commonly accepted as a form of grief. In fact, most people associate depression immediately with grief as if it is a a present emotion but it represents emptiness that we feel when we're living in a reality and realize the person or situation is gone or over and so in that stage you might withdraw from life feel numb live in a fog not want to get out of bed the more why the the world might uh, seem too too much and too overwhelming for you to face and you and you don't want to be around other people you don't feel like talking experiencing things, feelings of hopelessness. You might even experience suicidal thoughts, thinking, what's the point of going on? Well, that's normal, but you don't just sit in it. You know, depression is basically unmet expectations. Unmet expectations elicit enormous amounts of emotion, and they carry an enormous amount of baggage. And people with depression have lots of expectations. If you want to relieve yourself of that, the best thing that you could possibly do is start talking about preference. I prefer this, I didn't have this diagnosis. I prefer this, my my person in my life would be back. I prefer that I can move on as I normally was living in a happy life. You know, but the, the deal is we eventually have to make peace with it and accept that the last stage of grief uh, is that sense that it's it's okay, rather than I, I'm going I'm I, I'm not going to be okay. In this stage, your emotions may begin to stabilize. You basically re-enter reality. You come to terms with the fact that the new reality is that your partner is never coming back, or that you are going to succumb to your illness and die, or and you're okay with it. It's not a good thing, but it's something you can live with, and you need to be resilient. And you need to step forward. It's definitely a time of adjustment and readjustment. And it's definitely hard. But you vest in the process and know in faith that you're going to walk through it. It's not going to be where you're going to be the rest of your life. There's good days, there's bad days, and then there are good days again. So in that stage, it does not mean that you'll never have a bad day if you're in that acceptance phase where you're uncontrollably sad, but the good days tend to outnumber the bad days. So in that stage, you may lift from your fog. You start to engage with people. You might even make new relationships 
and you might understand that maybe your loved one could never be replaced, but you move on, you grow, you evolve in a new reality, and you do things for yourself that they would have wanted you to do for yourself. You know, there's symptoms of grief that are very important. You're going to have physically, socially, spiritually, a diverse change of life. Some of the most common symptoms is crying, headaches, difficulty sleeping, questioning your purpose of life, questioning your spiritual beliefs, like belief in God. Then there's this detachment. There's isolation from your friends. There's abnormal behavior. There's worry. There's anxiety, frustration, guilt, fatigue, anger, loss of appetite, aches and pains, stress. There's just all kinds of awareness. And that emotional awareness that you have during the grieving process can be tiring. But, the, you know, uh, engagement and counseling uh, can be some of the best things you can do with somebody that can be objective and allow you to grieve with you and allow you to understand that uh, this is normal. Also, bereavement groups or individual counseling can help you work through unresolved issues in your life. And it may be a benefit uh, to to have to be able to let some things go that you normally wouldn't have let go in a, in a confidential manner, or to be able to show your feelings in a way that you're too embarrassed to show to other people. That's important, you know. Terror and death, and that's this is a, a huge thing. You know, terror holds that humans construct careful barriers between themselves and their awareness of their mortality, and so. When we're reminded of death or strongly attached to the idea that we're going to die and then we face it, there's a deep terror that can take place because we now have lost control of our own life and people freak out over control. As a matter of fact, in the, in the DSM-5, almost every single man-made diagnosis means that there's not a biological thing, all the thought disorders that we create in ourselves are how we cope with fear, how we cope with the lack of control of things that we can't control. We, we, we try to control the things we can't control and those elicit the symptoms of depression or anxiety or OCD. Those elicit those coping skills which can be very common uh, in most people. Well, that means when someone is going in those thought-based disorders, that means they're coping with some type of fear, some type of fear of not being able to control something they need to control or want to control. And the fact is, you have to go in the opposite direction and accept what you cannot control, especially when other people are involved. They're going to do things differently than you. And so some people uh, who are control freaks have enormous amounts of anxiety. And that's a huge thing. If you were to meditate, if you were to just sit back and go, what is it I'm trying to control? And how would it feel to just let it go? Let it go. Stop doing it. Stop trying to control other people. What would happen? How am I controlling other people? I need to stop it. And, and if you do that, all of a sudden you're no longer having to cope. And now we're allowing ourselves to live. And that is a breath of fresh air. Huge. You know, uh, um, people who reported frequent feeling of uh, existentially isolated are more likely to create death-related words than people who weren't uh, very uh, isolated. 
and that indicates death thoughts were were closer to the top of those isolated individuals' minds. And my friends, this time period of COVID, this year has been a deep reminder of death. It's just been here we're all hovering in our houses and covering our faces and doing all this crazy stuff and people around us are dying and we're counting the numbers and no funerals. <clears throat> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's as if uh, we're not important and we are important, but we lose a sense of importance if we succumb to the idea that we're going to isolate. Here's one of the worst things that a person can do to their life. Spend a lot of time alone and number two, spend a lot of time in their thoughts because people are destructive if they're given too much time to think and especially people who freak out and worry and control they don't do well with too much time on their hands most people stay busy because they have to get away from their own thoughts so there's a balance that we all have to have in our life and it's important to understand that we do need to occupy our brains with many things that will captivate us, but hopefully they'll be productive and passionate and helpful for others. And if we can do that, if we can make our life helpful for other people, we're not going to sit in our own fears. Uh, too much time on your hands is uh, human beings' worst enemy. You know, it, there's there's a lot of uh, uh, concepts out there, but the idea of death and the fear of it haunts the human person like nothing else. And um, you know, it, it's 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 a fear that's so strong to compel us to force to to uh, run uh, on a treadmill at 7 a.m. in the morning or show our our you know. <laughs> You know, feel like something's a little bit off in our life, you know, but our impending end isn't just a benevolent supplier of health behaviors. We have found, you know, death can 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 determine our prejudices, whether we give charity, wear sun, sun, sunscreen, uh, desire to be famous, um, desire who we vote. Who, uh, what we name our children, how we feel about uh, uh, breastfeeding, how we feel about medications, how we feel about uh, shots in our children. <laughs> you know, it terrifies us. And, and it appears to be the core of, of a lot of our sense of uh, panic and, and anxiety. And, and if we're able to take it on and step in front of it and accept it, we can lose a lot of the crazy things we do to cope with it. And that is a very important thing for us inevitably to be able to do to enjoy our lives. You know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's an important thing, however, uh, that, that there's a, an important uh, distinction between positive and uh, pleasantness, positive and pleasant responses to death. That is a nice thing to do. It's, it's a good thing to do because it's going to happen. And there's some unpleasant and painful events we still be positive about. And if you can develop a sense of resiliency when you have a negative thing in your life that takes place, learn from it. Don't worry about failure. Don't worry about being stupid. What you want to worry about is what did I learn from this? And that is how uh, we exist. That's, that's uh, ex uh, experiential learning. That means we experience something by learning from it. And that's an important aspect of our life is to be able to learn from things that we don't like that happen to us. Okay. Now, um, 
there's a lot of, uh, by the way, there's a lot of blogs out there on facing death that may be helpful for some people. And, and that's a good thing to do, too, is kind of look up that stuff. And and if you uh, were given the sense that you're going to die or you're told that you're going to die or whatever, or you've got something pending, you know, impending death things, those those little blogs and those little uh, chat rooms that people create to talk to each other and support each other, that can be also a very good way to stay resilient. You know, perhaps you're putting on a brave face. You know, you know it's impossible to tell. But but uh, usually uh, a blog can be a really intimate mode of communication that may better uh, help you. But also what would be very helpful is to diary, is to write a diary about your thoughts about your life so that you leave something behind you. If, if, if you can leave some of your thoughts behind you, if you can leave some of your worries behind you in a diary, maybe your family will read those things and be quite proud of you. You know, uh, uh, you you may not have that kind of time, but it's important to try to do something that will leave behind things that you weren't able to close the door on in your own life. You know, things that you were never able to say that you wanted to say. You know, a diary is a good way to do that, and it's an important way to do that. Um, you know, people that that uh, will fear death, and, and the some people die fearing death. They just didn't fear it as much as, you know, we think, you know, if fear of death is in fact inevitable, um, there's one change we can make to help it. In Western culture, we tend to pretend death doesn't exist, whereas uh, an Asian uh, yin and yang philosophy of death, where life can't exist without death, and it allows people to use death as a reminder to enjoy life. There's life and there's death. That's an important thing to understand. You know, have you ever wondered how your life will end or how you and your loved ones will cope with the days or the hours as death approaches? If, if you ponder that and it promotes panic, uh, panic in yourself, you're not done. It's normal to fear death, especially in society that doesn't relish conversations at the end of life. I have to tell you. My father died a few years ago, about several years ago, about five or six years ago. But the bottom line is, is he died of old age. And that was a wonderful thing because as he was dying, um, he knew he was dying. But I was able to talk to him, even though he was in a coma. But I know he was aware. But it was, it was, a, it was a beautiful death because he passed an old age and he passed knowing he was going to pass, but he lived a great life. I mean, he made some big mistakes, but he, <laughs> honestly, he made lots of mistakes. Don't we all? But the bottom line is he died a good death. And, and that was, to me, a great relief to see that he was not in deep pain. All right. That's our depressing little show for today. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you could do that. On my homepage, my webpage at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember, death snaps everything else into perspective. And when you are dead, you don't know you're dead, just like when you're stupid. <laughs> also remember, if you want to freak people out, having someone update your status after you're dead. Also, remember, that, that's for Facebook, by the way. The other thing is, never go to a doctor whose office plants have died. Thanks for listening.
That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 